Well, yeah, you can give an applause for that. A team worked really hard to pull that off. Way to go, team. Good morning to everybody. Glad that you are here with us today as we start a new series like Tim, uh, Tim mentioned. But before we do that, I want to pause and recognize some very special people here at Epic. This week is actually National Volunteer Recognition Week. And we have an amazing group of people that serve week in, week out, that serve on Sunday, that serve all through the week, that do all kinds of things that you would not even imagine to make possible what happens here through Epic. And uh, just like last week with our three Easter services that we had, you saw people painting and um, there were people stepping out of what they normally do to do things beyond that. Uh, There were just people serving in all kinds of capacities to make our three Easter services possible. And again, they do that every week. And um, we have a volunteer coordinator that's going around handing out little, uh, uh, what are these called? Bracelets. Guys don't wear bracelets, though, so I got to call it something else, like a wristband or something. All right, so I don't wear bracelets. I I wear wristbands. All right, so here's a glow glow band. So for our volunteers, what I wanted us to do is just thank them together. So would you help me thank our volunteers? If you see a volunteer around with a bracelet or a wristband on, would you just go up to them and thank them for doing what they do? Um, We've got an amazing group of people that serve regularly here and proud to be a part of that group. And if you would like to be involved in serving here at Epic, you can find out more online at our website about how to, to get connected in serving here. Let's pause for a quick word of prayer and then we'll dive into our new series. God, I thank you for our volunteers. Lord, there's so many people here connected through Epic that just pour out their lives on a regular basis to advance your kingdom. Lord, and and I am just so honored to be a part of this group of people here. Lord, I thank you, Jesus, for modeling this for us. Lord, for modeling what it means to serve what it means to pour out our lives for other people. And Lord, there's some things we're going to learn today uh, through this message about that, about your perspective, about how you interact with us, that you want us to in turn learn from that and treat other people around us in the same way. So Lord, thank you for our volunteers. I pray just you would shower your blessings on them this week. And Lord, I pray that you would guide us as well in this new series that we're starting. Lord, I pray that we would learn how to have relationships that can last a lifetime. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we are starting this new series entitled Staying in Love. And we are going to try to answer the question and explore together, uh, is it possible for two people to fall in love and to stay in love for a lifetime? So over the next few weeks together, we're gonna explore the reality of God's truth for us when it comes to our relationships, the relationships that God wants us to pour lots of energy into, Um, the the relationships that God wants us to focus our time, our energy, our investments, and pour all of who we are 
into one of the most important relationships that we can have on this earth. Now, when it comes to love, we have made it out to be somewhat of a mysterious experience in our world, um, somewhat of a, 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 an experience that it's hard to explain, it's hard to describe, it's something that happens to two people, and those people don't have much to say about what's happened to it. You know, today in our culture, sometimes we look around and it looks like love is kind of like a magic spell that we've fallen victim to, or it's like a hole that we've fallen into. And maybe, you, you know, you look around the world and you can understand that. You know, here we are just minding our own business, walking down the street, and all of a sudden this love hole opened up in front of us and we fell into it. And we couldn't do anything about it, but here we are in this hole with someone else in love until we get angry at that person and decide to climb out of that hole and go walk down another road and fall into another hole somewhere else with someone else. But it seems like it takes some people about two seconds to fall in love nowadays. And all of a sudden, I'm in love. And you know, there, there are people that we can be in love with that we see at the movies. You know, you see them on the big screen and, oh, I just love that person. They're so cute. <laughs> you see them on TV and you just think they're the hottest thing ever. You know, maybe it's somebody you see at the gym. You've never spoken to them, but you see them at the gym and you just, you know that it's, it's true. It's true love that you are in as you feel those emotions for that person. Maybe you're watching the news and see somebody on the news. Today, there are hundreds of organizations that if you pay them a little money and post a picture of yourself that probably was like, you know, a few years ago picture, you post that picture, they will try to match you up with someone that might be compatible with you. One company is called Farmers Only. And it has as its motto, this is serious here, okay? This is not a joke. City folk just don't get it. So if eHarmonyMatch.com or Christian Mingle or many of the other hundreds of organizations out there don't work, you might want to try <laughs> Farmers Only. Now, there's nothing wrong with, with these organizations. They, they provide a, a service uh, to help people get connected in a long-term relationship. But the reality is with today's technology, it, it seems like it's never been easier to fall in love the way our culture defines love. And yet, with technology like this and the way our world operates, it seems like it's never been harder to stay in love for a lifetime. So it might be a lot easier to get into love, but it seems like it's a lot harder to stay in love for a lifetime. Anybody here familiar with the movie Juno? If you, okay, so you weren't ashamed to raise your hand and say, yeah, I saw it. All right, so if you haven't seen the movie Juno, I'm about to ruin it for you. So if you want to see the movie, plug your ears, okay? So the movie Juno is about a teenage girl who gets pregnant, and she has to decide what she's going to do with this baby. And she goes to an abortion clinic or Planned Parenthood, whatever you call it, and, and decides that's not the route that she wants to go. And she decides that she's going to have this baby, and then she's going to give this baby up for adoption. And through the course of the movie, she finds a couple that's interested in having a child uh, and adopting her baby. And so she spends time getting to know them, believing this is the couple that's going to get her baby. 
And as she gets to know them, she realizes their marriage is not that great. They don't have a good marriage. And then she looks kind of around her world and she looks at her, her mom and dad and their relationship and uh, her mom and dad didn't survive marriage. Uh, they're divorced and she's living with her dad and her stepmom. And, um, so she's kind of looking around her world and just wondering, you know, is it possible? Is it possible for two people to fall in love and stay in love for a lifetime? And in a tender moment, Juno has a conversation with her dad where she asks him, a very profound question. Let's watch this. So I think many people today are asking that Juno question. Is it possible for two people to fall in love and stay in love for a lifetime? You know, as we kind of take Juno's perspective and we look around our world, we look around at the relationship of marriage, it doesn't look so good out there. You know, if, uh, if you're married, you have about a 50% chance of making it. If you hope to be married, flip a coin. About a 50-50 shot that your relationship will, will make it long-term. If you're in a second marriage, your, your chances are less than 40% that you'll be able to, to stay together for a lifetime. The landscape of marriage is littered with broken promises, broken hearts, and broken families. And some of you know the pain of that. You know the pain of a, a broken marriage. You've walked through it. You've watched someone else walk through it. And you've experienced that hurt and that pain. And yet, even though long-term, committed marital relationships aren't doing so well out there in the big picture of things, we all still pursue them. We all still look for them. We all still think that maybe we can find just someone that we can stay in love for a lifetime with. Someone that will, will share our dreams and our, our desires. Someone that we feel completes us. You know, someone that we think, you know, when we're in our whatevers, our 90s, you know, whatever, we'll still be holding hands with them at the nursing home, sitting in our wheelchairs. We don't have teeth, but we have each other, <laughs> you know? I mean, that kind of a thing is, is kind of what you know, we're looking for out there, and I think it's a God desire placed within us. In Genesis chapter 2, right after making the first human, God looked at Adam, and God said, it's, it's not good for man to be alone. And then he created Eve, and he brought Eve to Adam, and he placed them in this long-term committed relationship that lasted all of their lifetime. So I think that's a God desire that's, that's placed within us to be in a relationship, a love relationship with someone that lasts a lifetime. But where do we begin? Where do we start to take this God desire that we have in us and turn it into a reality that we see in our relationships? I think the place we have to begin is with ourselves. So to stay in love for a lifetime, it starts with me. To stay in love for a lifetime in your relationships, it starts with you. The first step towards staying in love for a lifetime is learning to become the right kind of person. Now, as a pastor, I often get into conversations with people about relational conflict that they're having. And usually what the person I'm talking to, if it's a, um, just one individual at the time, or if it's a couple, often what they'll do is they'll spend their time um, trying to prove to me why the other person is doing all these bad and wrong things. 
And uh, so they'll, you know, hey, the, he said this, she said that, he did this, he, he does that. You know, it hurts me when this happens in our relationship. They spend a lot of time trying to prove their case. And it takes a while to get that person around the corner to the reality of, you know what, you bring some stuff into the relationship. You bring some stuff that's not so good. You've done some stuff. You've got to take responsibility for your stuff. It takes a while to get people to that spot. And I get it. Because when I'm in other conversations with people talking about Tammy, guess what I say? Yeah. I spend my time going, hey, you know what she said? You know what she did? It is so much easier for me to point out the things that Tammy is doing wrong before I see the things that I'm doing wrong. So I, I get that. But to stay in love for a lifetime, we have to start with ourselves. I'm going to ask you to grab your Bible and turn over to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. In our paperback Bible, it's found on page 900. Philippians chapter 2. We are going to look at these verses here through the lens of romantic love. And we're going to ask the question, what does it really look like to love someone? And what does it really look like for us to start with ourselves? So Philippians chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 3. All right, it says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Now, we could stop right there. We could pray and go home with more homework than we could ever accomplish in a lifetime, you know? You get that? So in your relationship, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Another translation says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Now, this statement carries with it the idea of competition. And so what the author is saying here is we have got to eliminate all negative forms of competition from our in-love relationship. We've got to remove all negative forms of competition. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, fun, appropriate levels of competition. My wife and I are very competitive in our natures. Uh, we were both very athletic when we met each other and enjoyed doing a lot of athletic things together and challenging each other as we did that. And now as we're a little bit older, we still compete um, in everything from who can wash the dishes the fastest to who can find the fastest route across town to get somewhere and get there first. So we enjoy some competition. It's fun, but it's playful and it's fun. But what often happens in relationships is we turn competition into something that tears our relationship apart instead of building it up. But Paul, the author of this letter to the Philippians, is saying, don't try to prove you're smarter than he is. He's saying, don't treat her like she doesn't know what she's talking about. Don't talk down to him. Don't talk down about her. Don't correct her all the time because you don't think she tells the story the right way. Don't make hurtful jabs at each other through your use of sarcasm. Don't spend your time trying to prove that you're right all the time. You can do that, and you can end up right out of a relationship. Then Paul adds in this verse, be humble. 
thinking of others as better than yourselves. Now, this is the point where, where we like need to put the seatbelt on and like white knuckle the steering wheel, okay? Because we're about to go off-road here um, with our nature and what God is asking us to do. Be humble and think of others as better than yourself. And another version it puts it this way. In humility, value others above yourself. Value others above yourself. Now, Paul's not saying um, that you don't have any value. He's not talking about your value as a human being. What he is saying, if you really want to learn how to stay in love for a lifetime, you've got to treat the other person as if they're the most important person in the entire world. They're the most important person. So every day you get up, you should get up out of bed thinking, I'm going to interact with my spouse as if no one in the world is more important than they are. Now, let's just pause for a moment, and I want us to think out loud about some really important people out there, okay? Some people maybe that are famous, some people that you would love to meet. You know, maybe when you were um, in middle school, you had a poster of this person on your wall, and you just loved it. Maybe you still have that poster on your wall. You love that. Um, so throw out some names to me of somebody that you would love to meet. If, if we could coordinate it, that they would come by and um, take you to lunch today and hang out with you the rest of the day, who would that person be you would love to hang out with? All right, who's that? Vin Diesel. All right. We look a lot alike, don't we? He and I? Yeah. Yeah. He's got a nice haircut. Anybody else? Who would you like love to hang out with? Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, I don't have any hair, so I got no comment on that one. All right, who else? Sean Connery, okay. Who else? The Rock. What was that? Okay. Who else? Okay. All right, so we'll pause there for a moment. So hold uh, whoever that person is that you identified in your mind that you would want to like hang out with that you think is the greatest, and let's, let's think about how you would interact with them if they were here today, okay? So just hold on to that thought. So here we go. You probably wouldn't correct them when they're telling a story. So you probably wouldn't say, no, no, Vin, it was three, not four. No, no, you got it wrong. It was a red car, not a blue car. You probably wouldn't say that. You probably wouldn't ask him to spit his gum out if he was smacking it, okay? You probably wouldn't ask Jennifer to stand up a little taller, you know, she's slouching a little bit, you know, just please stand up. You wouldn't ask them to tuck in their shirt. You wouldn't get mad at them if on their way home after a long day they forgot to pick up milk when they came home. You probably wouldn't get mad at them for that, would you? Now, we would treat them in that moment as if they were more important than we are. I mean, we would treat them as if they were the most important person in the world in the context of that moment and that conversation and that relationship. And that's the kind of perspective that God wants us to bring into our marriages, that kind of perspective, that we think that person is the most important person in the world. Look at verse 4. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. So when it comes to staying in love for a lifetime, we need to learn how to be proactively interested in our spouse 
and the things that our spouse is interested in. Now, this is not easy to do, and here's why. In my context of my relationship with Tammy, I am only interested in the things that I'm interested in. Uh, It may sound a little weird, but I'm not interested in things I'm just not interested in. So if it's not interesting to me, then I'm not interested in that, and there are things that Tammy's interested in that I'm not interested in. So it gets a little difficult for me to engage that. It gets a little difficult for all of us to engage that. But God tells us, if you want to learn how to stay in love for a lifetime, be very interested in your spouse, in the things that your spouse finds interesting. Now, here's a small example of how this plays out in my marriage. I love to hunt, and my wife loves to bargain shop. (laughs) So they are similar, because you're hunting for things, okay? I think my version is a little more fun, but she would disagree with me if she were here. So when it comes to our, um, our hobbies, the things that we love to do, we love to share our stories. You know, it's fun to go and do your thing and then come back and tell the stories. So guys, last time I was hunting, I, this turkey came up and it was fantastic and I shot three times and it flew away. Oh, this is great. So if you're a hunter, you would be really interested and you'd probably come up and want to know the rest of the story. If you're not, you're going, boring. Don't want to hear any more about that. But when it comes to my relationship with Tammy, when we come home, her after shopping, me after hunting, we love to tell each other our stories. And here's what I know as Tammy listens to my story. She doesn't really like my story. She doesn't care what, what happened. She doesn't care that I was in the woods and saw a snake and saw six deer and, and saw a turkey. She could care less. But because of her love for me, she listens to my stories. And she's engaged in my stories. And so when she comes home and she's got all of her bags and she's so excited about I got this on sale and this on sale and, you know, in general, I don't care about those things. But because it's my wife and it's an interest of hers, I listen to her stories and I love to hear her share about that. Why? Because she's interested in those things. Now, I haven't convinced her to come hunting with me yet. So we're working on that. And no, I'm not interested in going shopping. And I know that's a goofy example, but when you think about your relationship, what is your spouse into? What is your significant other into? I mean, what do they love? And what would it look like for you to take an interest in that thing as well? If your husband is into football, I would say learn about football. Take an interest in the game. That doesn't mean you got to, you know, suit up and go in the backyard and, you know, hit him or anything like that. But just, like, learn about the game. Like, learn the rules about the game. That would be a really cool thing. If your wife is into photography, it'd be fantastic if you would learn about photography. Take an interest in the things that are interesting to her. You know, here's one example on, on staff at our church. Tim Jones, our pastor of spiritual development, he's really into romance novels. <laughs> His wife, Sarah, she's not so much into those things. But because of her great love for Tim, she is learning how to take an interest in romance novels. So it's just a great example of what you could do in your own life. Now, our job as spouses is to become the best student of our spouse, an expert. No one should know our spouse better than we do. No one. We should know what, what makes our spouse happy, what makes them sad, what brings life into their world, what takes it out of their world. 
their, their hobbies, their joys, their frustrations, we should know the most about them. And we should lean into interacting with them in such a way as to demonstrate we think they're the most important person in the whole world. That's how we should interact with our spouse. Can you imagine living in a relationship like that? Where your spouse thinks you walk on water? Where they seek to put you first in everything? They take an interest in the things that you love? When they can't wait for you to come home, they just can't wait to see you and hear about your day. That's the kind of relationship that God wants for our marriages. Now, some of you might be thinking, you know, that sounds great. It just sounds nice. But you don't know my story. Uh, You don't know the hurt that's been in my relationship. You don't know what he's done to me. You don't know what she's done to me. You don't know the pain. And if I could just have five minutes of your time, Trent, I would prove to you why I can't do the stuff you're talking about because of the pain that's there. And I, I just want to give it a real quick disclaimer um, before we continue on here. If you're currently in an abusive relationship, then I encourage you to get out. You know, do whatever. Move out. Create a boundary between you and the person that's hurting you. Keep yourself safe. I think that's an important thing to do. And I'm not talking about, you know, she hurt my feelings last night. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about she doesn't like my favorite football team. I'm talking about physical, sexual, deep emotional abuse. If that's the context of your relationship, you're not bringing any honor to God by staying in it the way that it is. So I encourage you to create a boundary and keep yourself safe. But when I'm talking with people in relational struggles, most often that's not what we're talking about. Most often what we're talking about is some pain. Is there pain involved? Absolutely. Is there some emotional scarring that's happened? Yes. Um, Is there some damage that's happened to the relationship? Is the relationship maybe on the edge of ending? Yes, all those things are true. But someone has to take the first step towards God's plan for the relationship. I mean, you can spend all of your time kind of sitting on opposite sides, staring at each other, trying to prove each other right, being, you know, the best lawyers possible. Or one of you can move towards the other person and say, I'm going to walk down God's path. I'm going to learn how to be like Jesus. Look at verse 5. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So think about that in the context of your in-love relationship. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Now, this is one of those teachable moment verses that I use with my kids all the time. So they'll come home from school, tell me about a frustrating thing that happened in their day, an interaction with another student, somebody did something that made them angry, and uh, you know they, they are frustrated, not quite sure what to do with their emotions. And I often will quote Philippians 2.5. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus has. And they roll their eyes at me and say, you know, does everything have to be a teachable moment, Dad? And I think my oldest daughter's here in the audience, so she can attest to this. Does everything have to be a teachable moment? And my answer is yes. Everything is a teachable moment. My job is to teach you and train you until you are grown and gone. So yes, just get over it. Everything is a teachable moment. And then later, 
I say something mean to my wife. And my kids quote Philippians 2.5. <laughs> and they say, Dad, you must have the same attitude as Christ Jesus had. And I roll my eyes and I, I say to God, does everything have to be a teachable moment? And he says, yes, it does. Verse six. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. All right, now, there's some profound truth in, from the rest of what we're gonna read. I mean, we've read profound truth to this point, but we're, we're, this is about to mess with our brains, I think, a little bit. Even though Jesus was God in the flesh, he never took advantage of that. He never took advantage of it. He never walked in a room and said, hey, let me sit there. You know, I'm God. You know, that's my seat. You know, let me have that privileged spot in, in the, uh, the context of the banquet. And he never did that. Jesus had all the power of God available to him, and yet he never leveraged that for his advantage while he was here on earth. Never did, never once. He never reached for the I'm God, I'm God lever or the I'm God button. He had every right to. Jesus had every right to show up on planet earth and say, I am God in the flesh. You need to serve me, but he didn't. He put a serving towel over his arm he got down on his knees and he served us and he loved us even when we didn't deserve it. Now I know when you come home from work exhausted and your spouse didn't do that thing they promised to do, it really frustrated you. I get that. I know that when she forgot to do that thing, it really inconvenienced you because you had to go do some extra stuff. I know that when he made that remark, it really hurt your feelings. I mean, I, I get that. I know it. And I know in those moments when that kind of stuff's going on in your relationship, you want to pull the power lever or you want to push the I'll never forgive you for this button or the there's just another thing that proves I'm right button. I know you want to push all those things because I'm tempted to push them and pull those levers as well. But God asks us to do something different. Look at verse 7. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. Now, this is a little statement that theologians love to explore because there is so much depth here. The Greek language translates that as saying he emptied himself. Okay, so let's get the context of that. Instead of pulling the God card, Jesus emptied himself of all of his rights and his privileges in order to love us. He emptied himself. That's the attitude that God wants us to have in our relationships. Verse seven continues. Jesus took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. So when we pull the, but you don't know how hard this is, you don't know how much he's hurt me, you don't know what she's done to me card, Jesus says, I get it. I understand. Romans 5.8 says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were, we were still sinners. So when we deserved it the least, Jesus loved us the most. And when you think, you know, my spouse just, they just don't deserve it. They just, they just don't deserve 
that kind of response. That's the moment you get to be most like Jesus to them. You can demonstrate Jesus' love to them in that moment. To stay in love for a lifetime, we have to love our spouse like Jesus loves us. Verse nine, therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I truly believe that God will reward you for every ounce of energy you put in your relationship, your marriage. Every ounce of energy that you put, you invest into building a solid foundation to stay in love for a lifetime and to walk down God's path in order for that to happen, I truly believe God will reward you for that. Now, as I close today, I know that some of you might be in a bad place in your marriage. Uh, You might be on the edge of divorce and just think, you know what, there's just not a lot of hope. And I want you to know that we serve a God of hope the God of restoration. He can bring back to life a relationship that you think is dead. He can breathe life into it. And I think you owe it to yourself to try God out on this, to just walk God's path and really try to do things God's way in the context of your relationship. So here's what I ask you to do. I ask you to commit to being here each week in this series. So each week, just say, you know what? I'm going to be here, and I'm going to learn as much as I possibly can learn and how to have a relationship that God wants me to have. God has much to say to us, much. We're just scratching the surface. God has much to say to us, and we need to learn how to have relationships the way God wants us to have them. So in preparation for next week, uh, we have a, I have a little assignment for you, something I'd like you to do. This week, all week, I would like you to read every day Ephesians chapter 5, verses uh, 21 through 33. And if you're not sure, if you can't remember when you get home, you can uh, look online under our resources tab, under our spiritual growth challenge for this week, and I have it posted there. Um, If you forget, just read Ephesians chapter 5 all week long, the whole chapter. That'd be great. This is a a profound chapter on uh, marriage relationships and uh, there is much for us to learn. So I'd love for you to be as prepared next week as possible as we dive into that. And um, on May 4th and 5th, we're going to have a two-day marriage seminar called The Art of Marriage. And if you are in a great place in your marriage, I think you should come. If your marriage is in a bad place right now, I think you should come. If you know somebody who's married in a good place or a bad place, I think you should invite them. If you say, you know what, my marriage is in a bad place, my spouse won't come, I think you should come by yourself. If you hope to be married one day, I think you should come. So I'm like, I think I hit almost everybody, okay? So I think you should be here. I think you should be a part of this. There are going to be some profound truths for us to learn in this Art of Marriage seminar. Now, the cost is $50 per couple, and I think that'd be one of the best investments you could ever make in your relationship. And uh, you can sign up online at theepicchurch.com. We've got our table out here in the lobby. You can stop by there. You can sign up there as well. You can ask them more information about that. We actually have worked out a, an agreement with the Hilton Garden Inn down there by Panera, the, the new Panera that's open there, um, for a discounted rate. If you want to turn into kind of a marriage retreat weekend and stay the night there, I encourage you to do so. My wife and I are going to try to pull that off. 
And um, if you are interested in helping with that, we, we could use some, some help to pull this event off and just let them know at the table as well. I want to thank you for being here today, making an investment in your relationship. Whether you're married now, hope to be married one day, thank you for making an investment in your marriage. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for the reality of your incredible love for us. That God, when we deserved it the least, you loved us the most. That is some of the the most profound truth about the gospel that is so mind-boggling. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. And yet, Jesus, you loved us and you continue to love us. You modeled for us what it can look like for us to walk in in love relationships, to learn how to take an interest in the other person, to treat the other person as if they're, they're the most important person on the planet Earth, to humble ourselves, to not be selfish. So Lord, I just pray for our marriage relationships, Lord, that you would strengthen them. Lord, you've made available to us all the resources that we need. All we need to do is learn how to use them. So Lord, I pray that you would teach us through this series how to use those resources well. In Jesus' name, amen.